This is Ben Errett, and you're listening to The First Deal Show. Welcome to The First Deal Show with your host, Caroline with a K. On this show, we're talking about investors' first investment property. Join me for a trip down memory lane as we hear the good, bad, and ugly of that first deal. Back 402. This is your host here, Caroline with a K, with a very special guest, Ben Arrett. Ben is the founder and CEO of 3D Marketing Associates and has helped international companies develop their brand and create spaces that fit them. So I'm super excited to bring him onto the show today to talk to you guys about his first investment property. What I love about Ben's story is his vulnerability to tell us that things didn't go how they planned or how he had planned for them to pan out. And the lesson here that I want the 402 to take away is that you guys need to understand this is not a one-time get-rich-quick scheme. Things will happen, and in Ben's case, he had the really good fortune of meeting someone who has helped him to facilitate a growth in his rental portfolio. So let's dig into his story and find out what is it that makes Ben Eric special, but more importantly, what are some of the lessons you 402 that can take away and this is the primary reason why I wanted him to come in and talk about his experience so let's get to it okay so as per usual we are starting off with the kiss me segment where we warm Ben up to get to know him a little bit better and just on a more personal level so Ben with that being said what was the first album that you purchased? I laughed when I heard you ask the guest that first time. Um, I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> My first album purchase was uh-huh. Club Nouveau, which is total bubblegum pop from oh. a long time ago. I'm going to have to look that up. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. I won't, I won't dig any deeper than that. We'll leave it at that. Please don't. Um, (laughs) (laughs) All right. So what would you say was the biggest challenge that held you back from investing in real estate? You know, I think initially, uh, lack of, lack of money to invest, but then also lack of knowledge of what to do, which I will, will pontificate on that a little bit further here. Yeah. And so during the pandemic, what was something new that you learned or did that others might not know about you? Oh, um, during the pandemic, I moved to Austin, Texas to be part of a startup accelerator called Capital Factory. Oh, what? I did not know that. I thought yeah. you were in the Carolinas. Ooh. No, I'm, uh, I'm outside of Atlanta now, but I lived in Texas for a while. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I meant Georgia. Wow. I'm like, yeah. oh, yeah, the Sun Belt is all the same. It's not true. Um, okay. Wow. All right. So we'll dig into that a little bit. Um, so what kind of startup or what is or yeah, like uh, Swan Swan Factor is um, an underwriting application for people who want to run a financial analysis on multifamily syndication. Wait, so you moved to Texas to be part of that group? No, I, I moved to Texas to try to get a startup off the ground, and I kind of uh, iteratively went through lean startup practices to try and find product market fit in a, couple, in a bunch of different industries. But it really wasn't until I moved back to Atlanta that I settled on trying to 
uh, move forward with Swan Factor, which is the real estate underwriting financial analysis app. Okay. Got it. Got it. Okay. And then finally, what is your favorite quote? So I don't have a favorite quote, but I'll give you a quote. I looked up some quotes today. Um, Mm -hmm. Here's my quote. I am so old that I can remember when other people's achievements were considered to be an inspiration rather than a grievance. Thomas Sowell, who's an economist, famously studied under Milton Friedman, the Chicago School of Monetary Economics. So my hope is that your podcast will be an inspiration to others. Oh, wow. I actually know who Thomas Sowell is. I read some of his work. So yeah, that's uh, okay. I see you. Um, so now that we know that you're actually based out of Georgia, where do you primarily invest? <laughs> uh, it, 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 it all went down in Georgia. Uh, so that's where, uh, you know, we have our neighborhood level knowledge. And so that's where we've, we've been investing. Are you originally from Georgia? No, I'm originally from Virginia. Ah, okay. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Um, so then let's get into it, right? So your first deal is that first baby uh, we, right. yes, that that's, what's going to make or break your experience. And we've talked about this like months ago when I first met you. So let's get into the nitty gritty. Like, where did you buy your first property? And, you know, so tell I'll, us. you know, when you first asked me that question, I thought, gosh, why would anyone want to know? Because I feel that the way I got my first property was so unremarkable. And it's the same story. I think most people have where they got married uh, you had a house, she had a house, you got married, you bought a new house together and you thought, Oh, what do we do with our existing houses? Maybe we'll rent them. And you find yourself a landlord. Uh, and you have no idea how to be a landlord, but, uh, and then you realize, huh, we can make money doing this. Maybe we should buy some more properties. And I think that a lot of people just sort of, uh, blindly meander into it by accident that way when they get married. And, because that is such an unremarkable story, I thought, why? No, no, no. Hold why on. in the name I'm of gonna... Christmas would you want to interview me to tell you the same story? <laughs> no, I'm going to pause you right there because that's not true. I don't think that everybody that gets married both own their own homes. I yeah. think that's a misconception and that's a geography based, like geography specific type of question. Yeah. Because, for example, like people that live in New York, most of them that get married are both renters. Like most people do not yeah. own their homes. And I got married late too. So just to qualify, you know, when you get on there and you're, and you're in okay. your 40s and you haven't yet tried to buy a place, yeah, you know, so. But I thought about it uh, and really the story has a lot more twists and turns. I think your audience may benefit from hearing. So really what happened was right around 2008, I thought, I hear you can make money doing this thing called real estate investing. I'm going to buy a house and I'm going to use my design skills. Cause I was, you know, I'm a designer, a three-dimensional designer and I'm going to mm-hmm. use my awesome design skills to, you know, make it pretty and I'm going to flip it and make a bunch of money. Cause I, you know, I see this on HGTV and all these shows. Right. So mm-hmm. I thought that's what I was going to do. So the first place I looked at, uh, was this house that was in foreclosure and it was a stucco house that had all this black mold coming out of the walls. And it was a really good deal. So I called this real estate agent that I had met when I was out on a jog one day and said, Hey, 
I'm probably not going to buy anything, but, uh, you know, I'm thinking about getting into investing with, you know, and learning how to flip houses and using my design skills to, to do that. What about this house? And she said, you're absolutely insane under no circumstances should you buy that house. Now, I saw your eyes get big like eggs. For those who are newbies, if you ever see a stucco house where black mold is growing through the walls, run, run, run in the other direction, especially as a newbie investor, that is, that is a disaster waiting to happen unless you really know your stuff. Um, I found another house. Uh, so my, my real estate agent steered me in the right direction there. I found another house that was um, uh, going through foreclosure that was going to go to an auction. And she said, yeah, no, that one is okay. So I thought, all right, I'm going to go to this auction and I'm going to bid on it. And I'm not going to bid over X amount. And above that, I'm going to walk because I don't want my emotions to get the best of me in the auction. And I bid on it and I got outbid. And I thought, well, wasn't worth it to me. I'm going to walk. A couple of weeks later, I thought, you know, I wonder about that house still. And so here's the first tidbit for your audience. If you go to some of these, these auctions and you bid on a place that's been foreclosed on and you win the bid, yay, it means nothing. It means absolutely nothing. The bank still has to approve the deal. And a lot of people think it works like eBay where, you know, you're going to get a deal. And when the time runs out, the seller just has to accept whatever the bid number came. Oh, well, too bad for them. If it's a low number, you're going to no. that is not the way it works at most of these auctions. Um, the seller is not stuck with whatever the highest bid was. The bank still has to approve it. And a lot of times if the bank doesn't like what they're seeing, they'll just walk away and go, yeah, we don't want that number. See you later. So that is exactly what happened. And I found out that the uh, deal was not accepted by the bank because they didn't like the number. And when I found that out, my real estate agent found that out for me. I ran the numbers and uh, came up with my new, here's what I want to offer price. And uh, what could I put in the renovation to make this place livable? And unless I came up with a number that unless my company literally filed bankruptcy screwed me out of a year of income and I lost my job, I'd be okay. Now, you know where this is going, right? <laughs> this is 2009. You know where this is going, right? Okay. Uh -huh. So the deal was the bank wouldn't approve the loan because the house was uninhabitable uh, because someone had gotten a construction loan, gotten the money, tore the thing down on the inside, made off with the money and didn't do the renovation work, right? So now the house is uninhabitable. And in order to, to qualify to buy a house with a standard loan, the house has to have a kitchen. It has to have a bathroom and toilets. There's certain things it has to have. And the kitchen was gone. So I couldn't get the loan. So I asked my real estate agent to show it to me again. And she made the mistake of leaving a key under the mat and said, you can go show, show it to yourself. And wouldn't you know that somehow I accidentally on purpose made a copy of that key. And somehow a kitchen made its way from the garage all the way up to the, all the way up to the kitchen and got reinstalled. And do you know what else somehow magically happens? You know, those little plastic uh, sink units that uh, you can get 
and put like in your in your washer dryer room. One of those somehow got installed. Gee willikers, I don't know how that happened. So then I went back to the bank and said, bank, you know what? I don't know how it happened, but somehow there is now a kitchen and this place is habitable. Who knew? Yeah, they didn't buy it. <laughs> they said, they said, no, it's still not habitable. I'm like, what are you talking about? You said it had to have a kitchen. It has a kitchen. So I'm not recommending to your listeners to do illegal things. It didn't work out. Okay. Um, so then I got the loan approved with a 30-day contingency. That meant, all right, guys, you can close, but you have 30 days to get this kitchen built out, counters, appliances, everything. And I went to, I believe it was lendingtree.com to get my loan approved. Wait, wait, so the previous owner, they didn't put anything in there, but then they, they were in no rush. And they bolted. And then it was foreclosed on and the bank owned it and the place had no kitchen and it was stripped to beams and the inside where the kitchen goes. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. And you couldn't get an FHA loan? um, I can't remember the exact type of the loan, but it was one that somehow it qualified for something that could be sold to Freddie and Fannie. You know, and I know that that's what drives all loans at this level is can we sell this to Freddie and Fannie once we give you the loan? And uh-huh. so the answer was yes, but I had this, this 30 day time window. Okay. So at any rate, against the advice of my real estate agent, I had found my lender through lending tree and the whole time they're telling me everything is hundred percent approved. You're good to go. Your credit scores off the charts over 800, blah, blah, blah. So the week it's supposed to close, I'm in Munich, Germany, working on a project and I get back and literally like get up and then go to the closing table. And that's the week I find out that Lending Tree Company can't close it. And um, I was within financial contingency, so I didn't lose any earnest money, but it didn't close. And I was livid because not only had I racked up a $500 bill in Munich, Germany, internationally calling back and forth with Lending Tree, angry that you've been telling me a month it was going to close. But now... I've lost this house that I'd gone through all this incredible trouble to try and close on. So um, I found a more legitimate lender through my real estate agent. I listened to her this time and um, offered basically the same thing to the bank. I had changed some closing costs with the closing price. But at the end of the day, they would net the same amount and they turned it down. And then they tried to counter and try to get more money. And I was livid. So I wanted my agent to make what I call an FU offer where I dropped the price by like 30 grand and said, Oh, see you later. Peace out. Um, I cannot believe she even wrote it because I made it clear that this was an FU offer. I was just mad that you wouldn't accept the exact same dollar figure that you would just yesterday. Um, and, um, Caroline, they accepted it. Yay, sweet success. So I had saved all this money uh, in, yeah. in the price, uh, but I still had 30 days to renovate. So over that time, I worked till midnight every night. I worked every weekend. I went to work with four and five hours of sleep every day. Uh, Hold and on, I man. hired people to do the renovation to get this kitchen and everything in. I begged for rush shipping on materials, uh, the hoops I jumped through, and I got all this stuff in, done in 30 days. And they did not repossess the the house. 
Yay, I was able to keep it. And then I tried to list it um, to flip it. And that's when I got my butt handed to me because I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, it was 2009. And uh, no one would touch it with a 10-foot pole. And I had run my comps on what I thought I could sell it for, even a worst-case scenario. And I wasn't even close. I could not even get a return phone call. I did not even get a, a showing. I didn't get a nothing. Um. And at that point in time would have been where I then lost my job. The company who had owed me a year of back payments on commission screwed me literally out of a year of pay. And then they filed bankruptcy and said, sorry about all that money. And I have a new mortgage that I can't afford because this house was way over my head. I deliberately bought something over my head because I thought I was going to fix it up and flip it. And so now I got this house I can't afford mortgage wise with no job. And I had just depleted myself financially because I had paid for it and the renovations. And um, I was in a lot of trouble. So fast forward two years later, I was still working out of my house, trying to launch my business um, in the same industry. Uh, but I was now working from home. Um, and that was directly due to losing my job. And because I was working at home and pacing around the living room, I looked out the window and I saw a really beautiful girl. She was walking her dog and she was walking along in front of my house. And I thought, you know, it's important for a man to check the mail frequently throughout the day. You never know when mail may arrive. So I happened to go check my mail right as that beautiful woman was walking past my house. And, um, I really wasn't sure what her name was. I had met her, I think, five years before when I first bought the place. And uh, we struck up a conversation and she came back later with um, some soup. And I don't remember a lot from the conversation, but the salient points were, I have soup and I'm single. And from there, uh, we got married. And as it happens, she is a real estate agent and she knew a good bit about VRBO and short-term rentals. She's also a dual economics and math major and sharp as a whip with a ridiculously high IQ score and really virtually almost a, a photographic memory of anything she reads, which is downright scary. Um, but the point is that uh, she had bought a place as right when we started dating, she also bought an investment property as a duplex. And so this just she goes to show you how much smarter she is than me. She was renting out the, the, the she bought the duplex. And the rent she was getting from upstairs paid her mortgage. So she's basically living for free. Dumb butt here, buys something thinking he's going to flip it, uh, uses design skills to uh, renovate it and flip it. I got my butt handed to him. I'm stuck with a house I can't afford and she's living for free. Now that tells you who's the smarter of the two, okay? So from there, we get married. Well, I think you were the smarter one in this equation because you ended up marrying her. So. I know, right? <laughs> I'll bring it up my average, baby. All right. Gene Pool. So I, uh, we got married, we bought a house and she, she's the one who changed my house into a, a rental, a short-term rental on VRBO. And that's when it started to cash flow, And that's when it really turned into a true rental property. But my initial attempt to make it a real estate investment was a train wreck because I didn't know what I was doing. So yeah. tips and tricks. For, for a sad audience, the 402. First, my wife said, 
you know, we'll try to make this a short-term rental, but I don't know if it'll rent as well as my house. I said, what? My beautiful house? My house will kick your house's butt. She was, she was also right about that. Uh, it did not rent as well. And here's why. Because if you listen to Bigger Pockets, you would know that more bedrooms per square foot is good. And my house was great for living. It had this huge open space and it was awesome for that. But not a lot of bedrooms per square foot. So the people who wanted to rent it, they wanted like a party house. They're like, oh, wow, great, a lot of entertainment space, not many bedrooms. We'll just have a bunch of people in sleeping bags and terrible. Um, and so what she had was a lot of bedrooms per square foot, not all that open space. And, um, and it was just a bad, it was a bad recipe. So overall, what you buy for an investment for a VRB is not exactly the same as what you might want to buy to live in, especially if you like big open spaces. And so go for the, go for the, the more bedrooms per square foot. Um, another tip is she's really particularly great at uh, qualifying guests. We have 90% occupancy rate. And I think the average, um, the average, what is it? Credit score is about 800 for our guests. Uh, it's really ridiculous. Uh, she has this old grandma decorating style and she tends to attract old grandmas with high credit scores. I don't know why. So I, I can't give you a, a secret sauce recipe other than say my wife knows it. And she has a decorating style that attracts this one demographic and it's just been fantastic. Uh, and, um, and Which that's speaks why volumes to, she knows her avatar. She knows her guys... avatar and man, she nails it. And we, we, we just, we're always, 90% occupancy, no matter what. That's great. Uh, but we did struggle with that with my house that I was decorated per my style. So, uh, you know, once we got rid of that boat anchor, we used the cash from that and rolled that into buying a quad and uh, designed and decorated it out her way. And of course, it's doing really well. So there you That's go. That's awesome. Yeah. So you know, very decorated story. And it seems like there were, there were some positives from that whole experience is you got married, you know, I did. Yeah. <laughs> like anyone would have been like, wow, this really sucks, but you found an opportunity and I would say you nailed it, man. Thank you. I came out of it with a successful business and a wife and a house that we flipped for a bunch of money and used that to buy a quad. So somehow through all these comically stupid mistakes, uh, I ended up landing on my feet. Yeah, it sounds like real estate is quite forgiving, which it, people It was in this case for me. Yeah, it, def it definitely was. So tell us, like, um, if you could go back in time, what mm -hmm. would you tell old Ben? Like, Well, besides don't try to close with LendingTree, um, yeah. I, th I think one of the things that comes up constantly, and you see it on Reddit, you see it on the internet everywhere, you see people searching for it, is if real estate's so awesome, you know, why would I do that instead of stocks and so forth? And I'll just answer it as succinctly as I can. If you put $10,000 down and you get a loan um, and someone else through paying that mortgage and rent covers the other $90,000. So it's like getting $90,000 of matching on only 10,000 down with a 30 year vesting period. 
And on top of that, it gains 3% a year. And on top of that, it may cash flow. And on top of that, you get tax deductions. Now, if you take that same $10,000 and you gain 8% a year in the stock market, it's going to take that 10K a long time to catch up with the fact that you got $90,000 for free <laughs> right out of the gate. And it gains 3% a year. There's no way it's going to catch up. And I mean, it, it might eventually somewhere, you know, a thousand years later, I don't know, but you could just pull out Excel and run that simple math exercise. And it's not very difficult to see why getting leveraged money uh, pays. It is not without risk. It takes work to know that you're buying the right thing or you're going to make mistakes like I made. Um, People talk about passive income. It is not entirely passive unless you can really work to get it there and set up your team and that sort of thing. Um, and when you look at the turnaround time of learning to do it, it's just easier to click a button and buy a, you know, an index stock. It just is. Yeah. But the, but the payout is, is proportional to the work put in and the time put in to learn. Uh, so you're going to have to put in the time, but with work and risk, come increased rewards. And that's why everybody doesn't do it because it takes a crap load of time and work and more risk. That's why. Yeah, for sure. Um, so if the 402 wants to learn more about you, and I know you've got this software, Swamp Factor, you want to tell us a little bit about that? And ah, Screw my software. Let me tell you something that'll help you guys out. Okay. Go to swanfactor.com and go to the, the link at the top says articles. And under there, the first three articles are directories on all of the different software available to evaluate properties, to do underwriting, to manage properties, anything and everything you could think of to run, manage, and evaluate rental property are in those directories. And I think that could really help people out if they go there and check that out. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you so much for offering that to the Absolutely. 402. Absolutely. All right. Um, so thanks again so much, Ben, for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. And that is all, folks. Thanks. 402. Did you learn something or take away a golden nugget? Then I'd love it if you would share this episode with a friend. And I'd really also like to talk to you about real estate on Instagram or LinkedIn. So follow me at First Deal Show. If you know someone that has an amazing first deal story or you just want to give us the dirt on your first deal, shoot me an email at firstdealshow at gmail.com and let's get you on the show. 402, thank you so much for listening. I love all of you and I will see you next Friday. Bye.